Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Bootstrap Web. I'm Jordan. It's been a few weeks. It's great to be back with everybody. Brian, we have a special episode. We have a special guest. Would you tell us a little bit more about what's happening today? Yeah, yeah. I'm excited to be back on. And yeah, today is a, should be a good one. We've got uh, our friend J.D. Grafham on the show. J.D. Hello. hello. How are you doing? <laughs> you know what good that man. means. <laughs> yep. If anybody knows uh, J.D., well... Um, it's your news to break, Brian. Tell us. Okay. I'm not going to waste any time here. J.D. Grafham is the new owner of Audience Ops. I have sold the business. We closed this deal a week ago. And yeah, so we're, we're here to uh, tell the story. And, and what's really cool about this is like, I can't remember any times where both the buyer and seller were on a podcast together to like kind of break the news together. So this should be really fun. Yeah, should be cool. JD, welcome to our podcast. I will play the guide so we can hear a lot more about the story from both of your perspectives. Yeah. So, I mean, let me just say right off the top, as I said earlier, JD, congratulations. I'm, I'm excited for, for you and the whole team. And as I, as I said to everyone, you know, I'm, I'm really, really rooting for all of you. And we're going to get into the whole process and, and, and how excited I am about JD taking it over. But just off the bat, I'm really, really excited about the future of, of audience ops with this move. Um, so, yeah. You built a great business. Uh, so I want to congratulate you. Um, and you've been working on it for a long time. And you have now had a very successful exit. And I am super happy for you and everything you're going to keep doing in the business world because all you seem to do is just start businesses, which is great. And I love seeing that. I'm really happy uh, to be the new caretaker of Audience Ops. It's, it's, a, it's a gem. It really is. Cool. Well, congrats to you both. And from, you know, from the outsider point of view, let, let's get into how this happened. Uh, let's kind of hear about Brian from your point of view. Uh, how did you make the decision that you wanted to sell the business? And then once you make that decision, what comes after that? Yeah. I mean, you know, going back a couple of months, coming to just the decision to go ahead and seek an exit was maybe the hardest part of, of all of this, like just taking that step, like, okay, I'm ready to even think about doing this. Uh, that was, I don't know, probably around May of this year is when I started to really take action on that. It's probably no surprise to most folks who've, who followed along with the story. Um, you know, obviously I'm, I'm pretty focused on other products, zip message mainly. And, and, and audience ops for the last couple of years, I mean, I've, I, I had owned it for, about six and a half years, like six years and a couple months. The last at least three years of that, like I was really a, for me, it was like a cash flow automated, not, not fully automated, but very process oriented. I was not in the day to day, um, except for in some periods I was doing some sales calls. I would run the payroll, answer a few questions here and there. But for the most part, the team was running and I was really spending all of my other time on software, building new SaaS products. I think the hard thing for me was for a lot of that time, I was just waiting and waiting and waiting for the new business, the SaaS products to, to, to rise to a level of, okay, this could very come pretty close to replacing audience ops for, for me in terms of like income and, and that sort of thing. And it, it did like my software stuff did not, it hasn't yet actually reached that level, but it, but I did get to a point in 2021 where I was, 
you know, it's over six years, I did get a little bit tired of waiting. And combined with that, I felt like audience ops was not getting the love that it needed. I always felt strongly that it is a really great business, and especially for the team and the customers. But the, the team, most of all, they've been so amazing since the very beginning. And we even still have team members on the team today. I say we, and I should say you guys have team members on the team today um, who were literally were there since the very, very beginning of Audience Ops and, and a bunch of them since the very first year. That to me has always been incredible. And I always felt like I'm, I'm putting all my time and resources and, and energy into these new SaaS products. When I have a really great operation there, it, it would be great if, if someone could invest the, the time and resources and effort and, and, uh, and just strategic vision for that business. I, I just came to the point where, you know what, that, that person is not going to be me. And I, I wasn't really sure what to expect. I wasn't sure if I would even be successful in, in being able to you know, find a, a good acquirer for the business because that, that was also pretty important to me, which is what led me to, to JD. But that was the mindset. It, it took a few months, really a few years of kicking that idea around, but then a few months in 2021 to really say, okay, let's, I, I've made that decision. Let's go forward with trying to do this. You know, I want to jump in here. This is JD here. So the, the guy with the that talks really slow with the draw. That's me. There's a lot of industry buzz right now around like buying and selling tiny recurring revenue or e-commerce businesses, you know, but I have to say like, I'm a buyer of those sometimes seller, not really a lot, you know, occasionally if everything lines up perfectly, it is hard to sell a business. I don't care if you're, if it's your brother that you're trying to sell the business to. Just the exercise of going through and selling the business once you found a buyer is 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 a lot of work. And I'm going to be completely honest. If you if you list your business or socialize it or even work with a broker, a lot of the people that look at your business that are buyers. They're not serious. They're just wasting your time. They're looking for something that they can steal or they're just looky-lose or they're some sort of competitor or potential competitor just looking. I mean, like I'm I'm not like that, but I have come across this in any time I've, I've shopped out of business or learned about other sellers experiences, man, like there are a lot of people that will just waste your time and there, there's a lot of de- a lot more deals happening now with 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 um, you know uh, these marketplaces that are popping up, and and I think that's fantastic because there there is a market for sure. But Brian, when you set out and made your mind up to sell audience ups, that didn't mean you were going to do it. That didn't mean you were going to be able to do it. You know, it's not easy to sell a business. Yeah, it, it really isn't. I'll talk about one of the other key decisions early on there for me was to whether or not to use a broker for, for this. Is that just thinking through what it takes, like the amount of time and focus and frustration and all that? Yeah. Um, years ago, I sold a business called Restaurant Engine and I did work with uh, FE International on that. And, and it was really a, a great experience um, back then. That, that was 2015 is when I um, sold that. And, and FEI was the broker and, and I have nothing but great things to say about 
about the team and what they do at FEI. I, I, it was it was really a great experience. Fast forward to 2021, I considered that that route, but this time around, I wanted to sort of like test the waters to see if I could do this without a broker. Broker's fee is significant too. The, the broker's fee really is significant. If you're gonna sell, if you're gonna sell to me, you don't need a broker. I mean, if you got a broker, you can still sell to me. But yeah, yeah, but I think some people who don't have the experience are intimidated to do it on their own. Yeah, I, I mean, I, honestly, I was a little intimidated early, early on. But like part part of the value, I'd say there's a few areas of value that a broker brings in my experience. One is finding a buyer, and I felt like I had a, a bit of a network that I could reach out to some folks, including JD, who I reached out to, that at least I could test the waters there and 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 marketplaces and stuff. But the other, I think the other big value that a broker brings is, is they do guide the the deal and sort of like help keep it on the tracks and help throughout that process. And, and there's no doubt like that, that I, I would have felt that value, but I still don't regret the the decision to go without one th- this time. Um, it was hard for me because I'm not a, uh, I, I'm not a, I, I don't do many of these deals. I, I, I've only done the, the restaurant engine one. So it was sort of like my, my lack of experience um, that had, had made me a little bit nervous about going into this without a broker. But I, I think it, in the end, it, it was still the, the right decision for this deal. You know? yeah, that's, that's a really big part of it. The entrepreneur does a few of these in their lives. One, two, three. Not, not many people go beyond like one or two. Most people don't even get to the one. And then the person on the other side, a JD is, is a professional at it. This is what this is what they do. So they have a process. And and sometimes people look to the broker for that guidance on like, okay, what happens next? When I sold my first business, I was asking the buyer, like, so uh, what happens after the LOI? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I wish I was that kidding, but I'm not kidding. <laughs> yep. Yeah, well, you know, the the thing is, if you if you got a deal that's meant to be, you're gonna have you're going to have somebody that wants to sell something and you're going to have somebody that wants to buy that something. And they got to double check everything to make sure that it's what they expect. But at the end of the day, if, if both people want to do the deal, the rest of the stuff is just details. So long as one of them is not a Cretan or a liar. Right. And one of the things that made this deal possible without a broker and with me, who you, you you say I'm a pro, you know I'm self-taught. <laughs> you know, I'm not I'm more experienced than most founders. Yeah, um, but one of the things I've learned is is that the most important thing that matters is whether both people can be trusted. You know, that Brian was telling me everything I needed to know, and that I wasn't trying to take advantage of Brian, and we both like saw something that was just a good deal for both of us. You know. Yeah. Now, now where the market from both sides comes together initially is price. So that, that it's, it's a strange thing that like what ostensibly is the most important thing in the entire deal is like a starting point. And then you like start building trust from there and showing that what you said is true is really true. And your intentions are really your intentions. So without a broker, how do you feel? I mean, I, if you look at the Twitter DM history between me and like Thomas from FE International and Einar from Discretion Capital. Like, okay, what are multiples now? You know, it's because you're trying to get a sense. So how, how'd you do that? Oh, so, all right. Uh, I'll tell you exactly how we did it. 
So Brian sent me an email on Saturday, June 19th at 9.45, or 9.45 a.m. Eastern Time. So Brian, what'd you get? You get up on Saturday and email a bunch of people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, real real quick on that. Like I, I had a, uh, a small handful of personal contacts and friends who, who I reached out to, who I thought, again, like I got to be really careful about who I'm actually telling that I'm looking to sell the business because it's people know audience apps. I can't be super public about it. I sort of had to carefully tread and like, a few friends and contacts. JD, you're you're one of them. I, I believe you and I met. I think like 2017 around there. Uh, I did a podcast interview with you. I've heard you on on many podcasts. So you know you're you're someone who who does have a lot of credibility and and has done deals like like this in the past. So that that indicated like you know let's see Let, if if nothing else just to catch up you know. So that's an important thing to recognize is is can you trust the person that that you're sharing this information with. And I'm going to be honest, like there's, there's one time in my history and I regret it so much. I, I, I said something to somebody about something and it got back to somebody and I had, you know, incidentally, um, not on purpose, but definitely could have made a better decision and violated somebody's trust. And I felt horrible and that undermines so much about what I, what I, what I want to stand for. So I'm never going to do that again. Right. So, so. 10 minutes later, I responded, uh, but, you know, Brian's email was basically, hey, I'm thinking about this. Would you be interested? And he kind of describes the business without any specifics. And I, and then he says, is this of interest? And my response was on a Saturday morning, 10 minutes later, possibly, can you share some basic metrics? That was it, right? You know what Brian didn't do? He didn't say, I'm going to get you to sign an NDA, you know, like, um, because we know each other. Right. And, and I've made my mistake in the past. And so I'm not going to make it again. And I'm not going to, you know, blab or anything. So he, he shares some MRR revenue. And, and this is all happening within an hour on a, on a Saturday morning. Right. You know, I asked a clarifying question and, you know, through the rest of that day, um, we went back and forth and it ended with, I'm really interested and would love to get on a call, but I'm unavailable this week because of vacation and the Remember week after and next. Like, yeah, some like trips back to back. You know? And next week is the Fourth of July, so can we punt on this a couple of weeks? Um, and then we just tried. We took several weeks to coordinate. The next thing I know, like a week or two later or something, Brian's got somebody interested, and we're we're now emailing back and forth. And I'm like responding from the oil change place and sending pictures oh, of my dog, right. and we're just kind of chatting and being <laughs> yeah. just really quick with each other and and um and 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 honest with each other. Like I'm saying, hey, if you want to move on with these other guys that can move faster, I'm I'm on vacation with my family, so go on, you know. <laughs> Um, don't wait, don't wait on me. <laughs> yeah, sure. So from what I remember that period, um, we, we had a lot of fast back and forths early on and then, and then it was like, okay, there, there is some interest here, but we're still sort of, it, it wasn't taking structure yet. Like again, it, you know, we were traveling and, and, but a lot of questions going back and forth. Um, but at, at the same time, I mean, as you know, I, I was, I had similar email exchanges with a few personal contacts. Um, and, and some, some of those were moving pretty fast, but, but I think throughout that, that whole time, you know, JD, you know, you, you were like the, the number one 
person in in the in the orbit of of uh, of, of a potential acquirer, but uh, it was sort of just a matter of like timing of like getting a call, mm-hmm. like, yeah, after you get back before I go away and stuff like that, you know. Um, I just want, I want to point out a few things that I think are like going on underneath here. Maybe it's easier for me to kind of identify them and say them out loud. <laughs> the, the, the first part is how important reputation is and why in the business world, especially online these days where everything's so public and open, the value of reputation is critical because the initial interaction was based on that reputation. And if you had wronged someone in the past in such a way that that carried over into your reputation, going into the whole exchange would have been very, very different. So I think that's huge right there. And what I tell people, uh, you know, going from bootstrapping to, to VC, I get a lot of questions from founders on like, should I take this person's money? Do you know them? And what I always tell them is what's in the docs and what they tell you is one thing, but by far the most important form of protection you have is if that person's reputation is important to them. And if they build their business on their reputation, then that's going to prevent them from being a bad actor more than what's in the in the legal docs or what they tell you. So I, I bought Ballpark from Andrew Wilkinson a, a long time ago, many moons ago. And I asked a question that was basically the equivalent of, you know, uh, some version of how do I know you're not jerking me around? You know, and his response was exactly that, Jordan. He says, look, I've spent a long time in the industry making sure that I've got a stellar reputation this deal is not worth blowing that up over. <laughs> like, so, so either take, either take me in my word or don't, I don't, you know, you know, and, 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 and that was like, you know, that actually makes a lot of sense. And, um, and so, I'm, you know, I'm good with that. You still do need to take common sense steps to protect yourself, but that's, that's right. Cause it's, it's always a lot of money, you know, and if we're, you're not talking about 5,000 bucks here, you're talking about a lot more. So you have, you have a responsibility to yourself and potentially your own investors mm-hmm. Uh, to take it seriously and do the diligence, but it starts off with with the reputation. Yeah, of course, we can get into the the process after that, but to to sort of really formalize everything. But you're totally right. Th- those early stages, the the email exchange, it it was really all based on on trust. Um, I, I see it here. Like I I did respond pretty quickly with, you know, real dollar metrics right. of, Being of, open. of the business and right no, um, no NDA and, and it, it it was based on JD's credibility and and reputation that I was like, I, I don't need to hear anything else. And the most productive thing right now is to have, is to give him whatever information, you know, this isn't, this is not the due diligence phase. This is like top line, uh, broad strokes, key, uh, metrics that, that would help you decide whether or not we should keep talking, you know? Yeah. In, in many ways, the due diligence really just confirms that the trust is real because what you said initially in these quick exchanges is actually what's true underneath. And that builds the trust even more toward, okay, so we're being straightforward with each other and we can proceed. Right. Right. The the other thing I wanted to point out was now you're still businessmen, right? Business people, in this case, businessmen. And so you do have to play the situation to your advantage. You have a responsibility for that too, for your families, your business, your shareholders, your employees, everything. So what you're what you're doing in that process is you are you're creating authentic FOMO, not like marketing FOMO, but like, hey, I am going to talk to other buyers. And that gives a little bit of power to me as the seller. And it puts JD on notice a little bit on, okay, if I'm interested, I got to be serious about this. And if I'm willing to lose the opportunity because I'm on vacation, that's, I have to be okay with that. And that's my, that's my decision. So it's like this 
back and forth thing where you have to be honest with each other and do what's best for you while maintaining like that, that trust that you just started to build up. Right. Yeah. I mean, at some point, Brian said, hey, full disclosure, I'm talking to other people. I was very clear with Brian. I, I would expect you to be. <laughs> and if those are going great and you can't wait on me, then don't wait on me. Right. But right now I'm with family and I'm on vacation and I, just, I can't do it right now. But I can chat with you like this. And I think what I said was, let me know where I stand. You know, can you wait on me or not? Um, I, I can't, I'm not in a position to put in an offer or formalize it. But I think we'd already I, I, we'd already concluded that, like, what he was asking was a fair price. And I can do asking. Right. I wouldn't you know, it, it worked for me economically. But I wasn't going to be able to formalize it right now because there's 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 really a few more steps I needed to go through besides three bullet points about what your basic metrics are before I can put in an offer. Right. So so what happens from there, Brian? Well, yeah. And also just to just to close that loop a little bit, um, everyone is has a little bit of a different style with with these sorts of things. I was I was in similar conversations with a couple of other people. And and again, like it's like my lack of experience and lack of working with a broker that like, I don't even know what to expect through these things. Um, and, and I think having a, if, if there were a broker in place, it would have added a little bit more organization to the whole thing. It's like, like I'm, I'm cool with like going a little bit slower with this person. This person is moving fast. How long do I w- let that person wait before I give them an answer based on this other thing going on over here? And it, that was a little bit chaotic for me, but like, I knew that going in, like I had to sort of figure it out as we went along. Right. After a couple of weeks, we, we did get on a, a couple of calls, I believe, before we like formalized like the offer and, and acceptance. <laughs> it's funny, like we formalized the offer and the acceptance and then actually did an LOI like during due diligence. When, like once once we sort of sh- virtually shook hands and said, OK, we're going to do this. Right. Where, where do we go from here? What's the next question? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so let's get a little, a little geeky on the process. So, so normally LOI comes first and and then due diligence and you guys just kind of wrapped it all up into the same like informal agreement and then formalize it into an LOI and then due diligence. Is that right? Basically the author, offer like came over email and my acceptance came over email. And then like what, like a week later, you know, we actually signed an, an actual like LOI. We probably we probably could have skipped that step, but I was going through my checklist of things to do, and I was like, "Well, let's go ahead and get one." Any LOI that I'm going to get somebody to sign is 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 going to have a get out of jail free card for both of us in it anyway. Like an LOI is it's non-binding. All it is is just a letter that you sign, which makes it feel more formal. Right. It's like once one more step toward the, into the. Yeah. Formality. Yeah. It's just a formality, but it's, it's non-binding. Like, so at any point I can get out of it and Brian can get out of it for whatever reason or no reason, you know, is, is there an implied like uh gentleman's agreement in that LOI that basically says, I'm going to stop looking for new buyers and I'm going to like follow through with this as long as everything is true or as expected. I, I forgot what the exact language was in the LOI, but I, I believe there was something in there like, I don't know, like 30 days or you, usually it's like a 30 or 45 day or, or 60 day like period of like, we, we're moving forward. And I, I guess, you're, you're, I mean, you're really not expected to like continue negotiations with someone else, right? Um, yeah, it, it did have an, it did have an explicit time period and it's a no shop clause basically. Um, but again, 
It's not binding, right? Right, like, but it's almost like if you then continue to do it, then, then you're, you're just you're being kind of, a douchebag. Yeah, yeah, you're breaking the spirit of the agreement. So again, and, again, and I've had somebody like, do that to me, and and they were being douchebags. Mm-hmm. And I'm not I'm not going to name names, but you know, <laughs> if you're listening, you know you're a douchebag. Well, you know, like like for anyone who, who's going through a deal for the very first time, you know, like it's it's quite likely you you might end up with two or three or four LOIs from three or four offers, right? Um, it's not the kind of thing that that you can just accept all of them or accept mo- like what once you receive them, you take a little time to to decide like, okay, I'm going forward in good faith with this person by signing this LOI. It, it is non, non-binding, you know, um, doesn't legally mean a whole lot to sign it, but it's a commitment to, to, to each other. Like, okay, let's. And the reason you make that commitment, it's it's not warm and fuzzy and hugs and high fives. It's because like I'm going to spend time, opportunity cost, going through this exercise. Presumably, you're going to be investing in in this exercise as well. And you know, so we're we're in partnership together to see if this thing's going to work out. I'm going to I'm going to promise you I'm not going to waste your time if you promise me you're not going to waste my time. Okay, I, I wanted to ask about due diligence in that process, but I almost have like a specific version of the question for you, Brian, because you've run. Uh, several different businesses, side businesses, opportunities, products uh, over the past six plus years. Did you have things siloed off with audience ops so that it was because <laughs> look, most people, most people don't. I remember when I started Cardhook, I was like, this is going to be the one business I'm going to keep, you know, clean and pure as the wind driven snow because I expect to sell it in the future. But it's tough to maintain. You know what a funny thing about entrepreneurship you, you you know you try to make we all make a ton of mistakes and you try not to make the same mistake twice. I totally made the same mistake twice here. Okay, so when, so we'll back when I sold Restaurant Engine, engine okay. I, I did not have things separated and it was a total pain to to through due diligence to like line item out each individual thing like this was Restaurant Engine this was not when I started Audience Ops at the time it was just audience ops, but, but over the years, like other little startup things accumulated, um, productized course, SaaS products, different things. You know, what happened was I never, all of those little startup things never felt as like big enough to justify opening up a whole bank account or, or starting a separate business entity or separate credit card. But stupidly, I, I, I did not do that. And some of them grew like, and, and so what I should have done is, is had completely, at, at the very least, completely separate bank accounts and credit cards. But instead, I had one business bank account, one credit card that covered everything. I did try to do the books and, and have them like separated and, and understand like audience ops as a unit. It has, and, and I mean, the Stripe accounts were always separate. So that was like the easiest part, okay. the revenue side. So the revenue. The, the harder part is the expenses. Right. And, and now, JD, is this one of those things where you expect like it's either going to be one way or the other and you kind of know, know what to expect going in? It was a yellow flag for me that, that, that Brian's books were not separate uh, because it means there's a lot of risk there. I put a link that I want to share with anybody in the in the show notes later, but there's a post I wrote on Medium back when people wrote on Medium. 
called The 14 Things That'll Keep Me From Buying Your Business or whatever. Number four is your books are a mess. Now, Brian's books were a mess and they were not a mess. So they were not a mess because he actually has such a simple business operationally that the P&L runs in a spreadsheet with like 15 lines, 15, 15 different expenses, and that's it, which is not a mess. And in addition, what was not a mess is the Stripe account was separate, right? So revenue recognition during the due diligence phase, which is fancy speak, I guess I'm trying to sound fancy, which is just to say, hey, the money he said came in, uh, I need to see it coming in, you know, to verify it. That was easy because Stripe. But unfortunately for Brian, he had to share bank statements that had everything. And he had to go through and do a lot of extra work to like highlight and show me what was related to audience ops and what was not. And I, I'm going to be honest, I spent a lot of energy looking at stuff that was not related to audience ops, making sure that it didn't look like it might should be related to audience ops and be an expense that he wasn't, you know, uh, backing out that he shouldn't have backed out. But in the end, Brian's very organized and for, for having his you know finances a little tangled up, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, because he he put in the extra work to organize it for me. Um, and, and and he was very open and transparent. He gave me everything. Yeah. And definitely like with ZipMessage is already completely separate. Like <laughs> I'm not making that mistake a third time. But I think one thing that that could have made it even harder is all the people that work for audience ops, they only work for audience ops. I, I never had contractors like share their time on multiple businesses for me. I like I hire software developers on the SaaS, they don't work in audience ops. And I hire writers and audience ops, they don't work on my other stuff. So it's like at least if when we're looking at like contractor payments, that person is audience ops, that person is not, you know. So that was a, a little bit easier, but still. Yeah. And I'll be hard. honest, that's not how my payroll works. Um, but that's because I kind of have a core team that's shared services that they allocate their time between different businesses. And then each business might have its own payroll and overhead. So I've kind of got this shared services team that gets payroll reimbursement, but they're kind of management, right? So, um, it's a little, it's a little different. And, and also like kind of backtracking to, uh, probably around May or June, like even before I sent you that first email, I, I had done a lot of pre-prep because I, I knew once once I do get into a deal with with someone, I'm gonna need to have my my books and PL and everything like really prepped and ready to go. Um, I didn't want to have to and I did spend lots of hours like preparing and getting those bank statements and line iteming them and, and everything. And um and just get just so that I didn't have to like kind of scramble to get that stuff while we're in a, a due diligence phase, try to go into it prepared. You know, um, and that I think that helped move it along once we were post LOI. Yeah, I think all that work made a big difference because it, it didn't give me anything to trip up on. Um, I will say this, Brian, you didn't have a balance sheet. And that caused me to glitch out a little bit, um, even though I knew why. What do you need a balance sheet for on this business? Right. So what, what are you looking for there? I'm checking a box, number one. Mm -hmm. But number two... Um, I, I came in prepared to be a cash buyer for Brian, but I did look at possibly going like a, a debt route 
And anytime I talked to a banker about that during due diligence, trying to see if I could do something, the banks completely glitched out on not having a balance sheet. I wanted a balance sheet just so that I could get Brian to attest and state that this is a true thing, right? Just to make sure that he's doing doing his his. And uh, what do you what are you looking for other than it being you know present and existing? What are you looking for on that balance sheet to see what if there are any debts? If there's any first, cash? yeah. So first, first of all, you, you want to make sure that when you're buying a business. Um, that you're not assuming any liabilities, which is accounting speak for debt, right? Um, now, I'm going to make Brian tell me that any debt he has on the business, he keeps and pays off with the funds from closing. Um, but that's not how every deal works, right? Some some buyers might assume some debt. Um, for me and Brian, this was a very clean, very simple transaction. He didn't have any debt on the business. Um, a balance sheet would show me any debt he had on the business, and if he was hiding anything or whatever, he'd have to show it and then he'd get caught lying later. He's going to get sued. Um, you know, so, so, yeah, we don't want that. But, you know, another thing that didn't come through on the balance sheet that I wasn't too worried about was the credit card statement balance. Right, Brian? You know, I'm sure it had a few thousand dollars on it or something from just the monthly expenses. Um, yeah. But I wasn't yeah, worried about you showing me that. That's not why. I knew about that card. Part of it is just, like I said, checking boxes to make sure that you're getting the person on the other end of the deal to clearly articulate what they mean when they say something. And a balance sheet is a formal standardized way of articulating debts and um, and assets. And so I needed him to formally articulate any debts or liabilities and assets he had on the business um, so that we could then see if there was anything there. Yeah, m- m- makes sense. I think as a as a bootstrapper building businesses from the, from the ground up, my approach is has always been, yeah, there might be little things in in the way that things are organized or, or accounted for and, and everything that that are suboptimal, but it, it's always for me it's always been a choice between <laughs> work on sales, work on growth, work on product, or get everything exactly perfect in, in all cases. And that, that was, and, and, and to be honest, like the, these, those are the kinds of things that, that do bite you later on when, when you are going to sell a business or, or something like that, where it really helps to have things kind of buttoned up from the very beginning and at least put the systems in place. Like just like the year to year, the, 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 the turbulence of dealing with this is growing a lot faster than, than I, than I'm doing or, or it's not growing enough. So I'm, now I'm hustling to get it growing again. And it's like, like you, you, you know, you prioritize that stuff and it's, uh, I'm dealing with that in another business right now. Um, you know, there's nitpicky little things on the, on the financial side of the business that are, that, that, that bother me that I want to fix, but you know, what's going to fix everything sales, sales cures all. And I will add on top of that though, the other things we prioritize that are not business stuff. Like would I rather deal with this nitpicky financial thing and save $49 a month on a $2 million a year business? Or would I rather go to the bus stop and be there in time, on time for the bus stop for my kids? Yeah. I, I think I'd rather be at the bus stop, you know? Yep. Trade-offs. All right. Well, look, I think rather than, you know, put the audience to sleep, talking about asset sale versus uh, or anything else. Like, how, how does it feel now? What's what's next? Brian, how do you, I'm, I'm curious on both sides. Brian, how does it feel to have this thing that you grew and worked on, like no longer part of your life? And JD, how do you take on someone else's thing that they grew and 
transition it in a healthy way. So like Brian, where, where are you at? I want to get into that before, before we get away from the, the process of getting to, to the finish line. I want to talk about, I probably didn't know this as much in, in the restaurant engine deal years ago than I know now about the idea from a seller's perspective. I think a lot of people want to present their business in the most perfect light as possible. The, the inexperienced person, me from a few years ago, would have been like, look, this business is great and, and, and don't worry about the messy parts and, and, the, and the problems with it. it. It's so much better to be completely truthful and, and honest. You know, like, yes, like be proud of, of the best parts of the business, but also, look, there are things that I, that I could have done, should have done, didn't, didn't do to grow it in certain years or, or you know, it, it could have handled that, this or that better. And, and I want to be as, as open as possible because, I mean, JD, correct me if I'm wrong, but like there are probably things where from a buyer's perspective, it's like, well, those are opportunities to, to come in and improve things um, or, or growth opportunities that like, cause that, that is part of what I think a buyer needs to see is, is pathways to actually grow. Like they, they don't want to buy a completely perfect business, right? I, I will tell you, there were many times when you told me something about the business that you felt like it was, was, a, was like a wart. And I was like rubbing my hands together, like, like this, 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 <laughs> thinking of all the things that were there that were going to be easy improvements to make in terms of optimizing the business or growing the business you know and and and, and I talked about those with you Brian and and we had those conversations and and I was just looking at that as just okay this this makes the purchase price an even better deal for me I like a business for example with with really low churn because it tells me that the customers value it and 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 they're going to stick with it for a long time. But if I see a business that's got higher churn and I see a lot of easy ways to improve that myself, it means I could be getting a good deal and I've got to bring a little bit of expertise and risk tolerance to the table for that, but it's an opportunity to turn a lever that, that, that the previous person wasn't turning and, and extract, so to speak, value. Uh, from a new place. So rather than buying a completely optimized business, I like to stumble upon something where it's a really well-run business. It's, it is an optimized business, but there's also tons of opportunity. And with with me and my background in, in the agency world at Simple Focus and recurring revenue businesses, I saw plenty of opportunities where we we've built a team and have processes for doing a lot of the stuff that Brian didn't want to like come up with a process for uh, because it would have taken tons of investment. And I've been building that for 13 years. So I plug it into, you know, into my team and my processes. And, and now we've got like a multiplying effect, which is, which is, I think one of the things that Brian, you shared made you excited about it because, Hey, I mean, there's opportunity here and that's great. You know, yeah. I certainly tried to articulate like all the, all the areas of like growth strategies that I would be doing if I were to double down on audience ops. I wanted to share my thoughts on that. I'm sure some of those could, could work, but, but you probably have plenty of your own uh, other ideas. We, you know, we can get into that. But the, the other thing to get into more of your question, Jordan, like coming out of this, one of the things that, that I felt was really important to me, and, and this goes back to, to my decision to move forward with, with JD in particular on this is, um, I have to feel really good about the future of, of audience ops. It's easier than people think to sell a business to just anyone. 
Uh, I mean, as hard as it is, we talked about how hard it is to, to do, actually do it and, and get it done, but there are plenty of buyers out there. There's all different types of buyers out there that a business could end up going to. I needed to feel good about this path could really grow audience ops. And I also needed for personally, for me, I had to also feel good with the, look, I, I'm, it's not going to be my, my business. And I have to feel, I have to feel great about seeing audience ops 3X, 5X, 10x over over the next several years, you know. I don't know what those numbers mean to, to people, but the I'm confident there's zero like jealousy or or regret. Oh, I wish I could have grown it. I could have been the one to grow it the way that JD grew it. There's going to be none of that because I came to the conclusion that like A, it's just not the business for me, the the founder fit anymore and and B, I'm I'm just so rooting for JD and the rest of the team um on this that I'm just happy to see it go cuz I, you know. Yeah. This is the the win-win part of it that both both sides can win and the price makes sense and it's not one person taking advantage of the other, one person losing, or it can make sense for both. My CPA told me years ago that you know that the price is right when both sides feel like they got a good deal. From my perspective, Jordan, to kind of respond, my first most important objective is not to screw it up, right? So I don't come in with a bunch of outside ideas about what's gonna what's gonna improve the business uh, that I try and that I try and cram down everybody's throats on the team, right? Like I came in and I said, look, I do what I do because I love helping people do what they were born to do. With audience ops, we've got a bunch of writers, right? And and, and I want you to have a good job, be happy writing. You know, that's that's what we're here to do. That's what we're about to come in and say on day one or week two or whatever, we're going to change up our procedure manual with these new ideas I've got would be would be naive and um, ignorant of me. And, and I don't want to do that. Instead, what I want to do is I want to I want to hear from everybody I'm, and I want to be completely honest and I want to kind of startle everybody with with how like real I am you know we got the team together and and Brian and I kind of made the announcement with the team and I went out of my way not to be businessy I went out of my way to to just sort of make it an introduction to me and to say look I'm 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 not going to be moving your cheese I've got some thoughts about relocating some cheese at some point in the future but I don't really think anybody needs to worry about that right now or for a long time, because I'm going to be working with, you know, Sarah, who's on the team. And and when we're going to be figuring out like, okay, well, what's one, one, one little thing that everybody thinks we could change if we change anything that, that can make things a little better or whatever. Right. And instead focus on, Hey, let's just keep doing our jobs. Let's keep taking care of our customers and just let everybody know that I'm, I'm listening. And then a couple of days later, I sent out an email to the team and I said, Hey, um, so here's the thing I've got a question about. Could, could you all weigh in, you know, and I got probably 80% of the team respond within 24 hours to an email and just giving them a chance to know me. I tell you, uh, Brian, you'll be happy to hear this. Um, Sarah told me the other day, she said, Hey, I think you need to do this. She told me what I needed to do for the team. Go. And I was like, heck yeah. Thank you, Sarah. I would <laughs> absolutely like do what you tell me to do. <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Um, you know, and, and the cool thing is like this, the Sarah person, very important part of, of, of me feeling comfortable with the deal and 
about gave Brian a stroke worrying about, gonna talk about, about if I didn't like her. You know, <laughs> fortunately, I liked her, and and so. But Sarah has everybody's back at the team, you know. She's like that person on the team that you got to – she's one of the first people you got to get on board with. And if you get that person on board, then there's another group that gets on board and then another group that gets on board until everybody's like, okay, yeah, this is legit. This is good. This is a good thing. Yeah. So just to give listeners, you know, a little bit more uh, specifics around how, how these sorts of things work, I mean, one of the hardest things for for me and for I think any any seller of a business is – you really can't let anyone know about it until you're at the finish line on your team and, and the customer base and, and the market in general, but most of all the team, right? Um, and that's probably even more true in a, in a service business like, like Audience Ops. You know, it's like I literally for the last two months, I, I had to run the business business as usual and answer questions from the team, running the payroll, being normal Brian and and not talk at all about the fact that like we're inching closer and closer to this deal to, to sell the business. Um, that had to be really secret. And early on, you know, as we got into due diligence, one of the requests in due diligence was, look, it, it's apparent that that Sarah, the, the team manager, is pretty essential here. You know, JD asked to to meet Sarah. And going into the the deal, my my thought was like, okay, nobody is gonna know until after we close the deal. It was completely understandable that like you know, uh, to, to eliminate that point of risk, um, you know, the, the team manager is going to be, ha- have to be brought in before we actually close the deal. Structurally, the way that, that we work it is like, we pass everything else, the contract, the due diligence, everything else is like all good. And then the very final piece is, is uh, A, I break the news to Sarah that we're about to, to sell the business and, and then B, introduce Sarah to, to JD. And, you know, my, my thinking on all that was, I, I do trust Sarah. She's, she's amazing. And, and I, and I was really pretty confident that she would be pretty excited about the, the this transition and the opportunity for, for her and, and the rest of the team. Um, but, but just the fact that it, that was something that is out of my control. I don't know how this is going to play out and, and the speed of it. Like it's, it's a lot for one person on the team to digest all at once. So it, it was literally like a, like a Thursday was the day that I had my, my call with, with Sarah to, to break the news and go through all like why I'm selling and, and who I'm selling to and, and, and how this all works. And, you know, she, she's not familiar with how these sorts of deals tend to work. So I had to explain a lot. And then it was like the next day, I think like the next morning, Friday, and Sarah, by the way, I need you to get on a call with, with JD and, and myself and, and, and really, and it, like over a 24 hour period, she, she was a rock star and, and just, I, I, I think handled the whole thing professionally, but it, yeah, it gave me a heart attack, like <laughs> to, to think through like, who, who knows like how this could go, you know? Um, but, uh, but it was good. And then fast forward, like th- then, like the following week, we, we went through with, with the closing. And then I think it was a few days after the closing, we called like an all team meeting on, on zoom to to break the news to everyone. And uh, we, we can get into how we coordinated that a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. It's pretty exciting. At, at some point, at some point, Brian said, I'm, I'm just really nervous about if it, if it doesn't go good with Sarah, what, what, what are we going to do? We're, we're right here on the three yard line. And I was like, first of all, I think it's going to go great with Sarah. Second of all, if it doesn't, 
we're going to have to press pause like, yep. and reevaluate, <laughs> yeah, right? But, you know, um, it is what it is. But you know, it, uh, we'll have to we'll have to see where we go from there. Which you know wasn't wasn't me saying game over or anything to Brian, who was at this point quite heavily invested, as was I in the in in seeing the deal through. But it was an acknowledgement that like. Hey, you know, um, the people here matter. This is something that I need to be in good shape about the business. And have been clear from the beginning that needed to be in good shape about the business to make, to feel comfortable doing the deal is okay. Your key people in, in any people business are a part of the deal. You know, it was an important hurdle to get through. We, we saved it for the end, but fortunately, um, it's it's been fantastic. And Sarah is a, is a, is a, is a real, is a real trooper. You know, she's a player. Yeah, I think she's awesome. And and as folks, you know, know I've t- I've talked on the podcast. We we've, we've had a team manager before her, Cat, and and I think she she and Cat and really the rest of the team, like they part of what makes someone a a, a great team member at Audience Ops is, you know, they they're just professional. They they can ro- they're, they're reliable. They they can roll with uh, changes and and process and, and all that. So it's been awesome. But one of the things that I thought was interesting, and I think you were really smart to sort of direct it this way, was our plan to break the news to the rest of the team you know um at this point now now you officially own the business there were like a few days in there where where you me and sarah were like sort of planning that the 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 breaking of of the news and a few interesting things like first of all my style of of managing at least in, in in the audience house business was like very very minimal on meetings and certainly almost never having like team like full team meetings or stand-ups or anything like that so just the fact that we were calling an all team meeting was like, okay, something, something's up. Cause Brian never does that. Um, but I think what was really smart was sort of bringing Sarah in to lead that and for her to be the one to call the, the meeting invitation, but then also like introduce it and host it and, and be the, the voice of like, look, everyone, this is a good thing that's happening, you know, um, because she was already brought in a, a, like a week earlier, um, I said my thing. I had plenty of things sort of like prepared that I wanted to say, which I was super nervous <laughs> about saying, but she helped to, I think, just soften the message of of like, look, like th- this is, I know this is all really sudden, but, but it's, it's good. Let's all be open to it. You know? Yeah. I mean, in those few days where only the three of us knew we had to figure out how we were going to tell the team because uh, yeah, before before I bought the business, I didn't know how we were going to tell the team. And what I told Brian was, I don't know, what do you think? And and more importantly, maybe, what does Sarah think about how we should tell the team? And so even, even the morning that we had a couple of meetings the morning before to kind of figure out how we were going to present it to the team, I was like, hey, you know, I kind of want to get on a call with Sarah and figure this out and then loop Brian in. You know, and, and, and we knew Brian would be part of it, but I kind of wanted to just say, hey, Sarah how's this team going to take it you know and we decided that that sarah would would send an email to the team and say hey uh super secret meeting coming up uh don't freak out it's good <laughs> i'm excited but i can't tell you what it is right now <laughs> you know i hate 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 that that's just kind of a reality because anytime you know a a boss says hey we need to meet um <laughs> Right. An employee is <laughs> not going to be able to sleep, right? If it's if the meeting's in the morning, and so we worked on the, getting the message just right, 
And I think, you know, we said, hey, we got some good news we want to share. Uh, Brian's going to share tomorrow with you. And the message came from Sarah. And and for, for this group, we felt like that was an, an important step, you know, that this was going to, you know, but, you know, it, it didn't take anything from Brian either because it was still Brian's announcement to make. You know, we just sort of um, had, a, had a weird situation without – a, a team that has a lot of meetings and all of a sudden we're calling a team meeting. Folks are going to know what's up and anybody that's got a propensity to being nervous is going to be like nervous about that. And th- those that don't, they won't care, whatever they'll show up to the meeting. You know, we recorded it for anybody cause it was last minute announcement that who couldn't make the meeting. And, and the most important thing was like we said, look, open to questions, whatever you want to ask, 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 ask. Yeah. Um, you know, and then it was like not not too many questions. <laughs> I got plenty of questions, Brian. Wait, we got to talk amongst ourselves first before we start asking questions. Well, actually, we said that in the meeting. Hey, you know what? Feel free to gossip with each other on Slack or whatever in the back channels. You don't have to bring the questions to us. Like, you're not going to get any pushback from us about any questions you have or anything you want to say to anybody. Like, just 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 process this how you want to process it. No big deal. It basically went as I expected it, it would. I sort of envisioned how that would go down. I, I, again, like we, our, our team doesn't do a lot of uh, open meetings like that. So I expected that there probably, we, there were some, some questions that happened live on the Zoom call, but I figured most of them would happen sort of like behind the scenes. And afterward, I, I received you know, some really nice messages from, from folks on the team. That was all really handled really, really well. The trick was leaning, leaning on the person who, who works with everybody day to day to sort of advise, you're not feeling like I've got to be the, the new guy that needs to come in and do things my way. Right. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, from the outside perspective that the, the key is coming in with a pretty humble approach and not saying, well, it's my business now and we're going to do things the way I want because I'm smarter and here we go. And, you know, it's really letting people, sometimes uh, people will make, assumptions on like the the fear side of things and helping them see that those bad assumptions are not going to come true uh puts starts to put people at ease i did do things my way i just my way was humble mm-hmm. and, and and i am so smart because being humble is the right way to do That's it right. yeah. it's both you know seriously though i mean it's, it's i don't want to lose sleep at night over the way i do anything and and I want things to work out and I care, genuinely care about people. So of course I'm going to do it this way. Yep. The transition has been really pretty smooth. Uh, it's, it's not a very complicated business to, to transfer in terms of like tools that we use and, uh, and organization. It's really just a matter of, uh, you know, kind of, you know, switching over the passwords and the ownership and, and the Stripe account and the domain. And it's, it's not a software sale. So it's not like we're, migrating over our code base or anything like that. that. That's been pretty simple, but your team JD has been awesome with making sure that the, everybody is set up in the, in the new payroll so that there's no disruptions as we get to the next pay cycle and things like that. So again, just trying to give people like some info about how these types of deals happen. Like I'll, I'll, I'll continue to be around to, uh, to answer questions and advise and, and help, you know, with the transition in, in any way that I can. Um, like I guess, like contractually for like a, a couple of weeks after the, after the deal, but of course I, again, I'm rooting for for everyone, so I want to remain available uh, to to help however I can. So 
Well, gents, feels like it might be time to wrap up. And I want to say congratulations to you both. Brian, congrats on a successful end to one type of journey and that the company continues to live on. And JD, congrats, uh, owner of a, a new business with plenty of opportunity ahead. Yeah. Thank you guys for inviting me onto the podcast to, to be part of this announcement. I mean, I think it's it's really cool that um, that you wanted to be so open about it with everybody and share. And um, thanks for the invitation. I'm, I'm super excited that the business got to go to you, JD, and because I've been completely open the, the entire life of audience ops lived on this podcast too. Like, we, like I, I remember like years ago announcing the new business on this podcast and trying to be as open as I can about it over the years. And now uh, we get to hear from the person who, who acquired it uh, here on Bootstrap Web. So that, that's really cool. Wait, is it my podcast now? <laughs> <laughs> not not in, in the assets list there. No, not anymore. <laughs> well, Jordan, it was good catching up with you too. Love talking to you guys. You too. Yeah, this sort of thing doesn't happen every day, so it's good to acknowledge it, celebrate it, and talk about it. All right. Thanks for listening, folks. Bye. Yeah.